Today on Sexually Woke with Dr. Susan, I'm speaking again with psychotherapist and sex and intimacy expert, Mary Jo Rapini. This is part one of a two-part series on honest communication and increasing vulnerability to deepen our relationships. Hi, and thanks for joining me on today's episode of Sexually Woke with me, Dr. Susan. And I'm so excited to be bringing back today a guest that we had earlier on this podcast, Mary Jo Rapini, who is a very well-known psychotherapist practicing in sexual and relationship and intimacy work. Uh, She and I work together with a lot of patients and have so many exciting things to talk about. So welcome, Mary Jo. Thank you, Susan. I'm really excited about joining your podcast and just, you know, underline everything that you are and how you help patients. And it's just an honor. Well, I'm so glad to have you back because we, you know, last time we just could have talked for hours. So we might just have to do that, but we'll have to break it up into several sessions, I think, because you and I were talking earlier today about some really cool stuff regarding communication. And this comes up for me all the time with my patients around the time of menopause. You know, first Mm -hmm. of all, we don't know a lot about what's going on with our own bodies. And so we're trying so hard to help educate women. But at the same time, often we're struggling with communicating to our partners what's happening and the changes in our bodies. And so, you know, I really wanted to ask you about that because this is your specialty. And like, how do we help women to communicate what's happening so they can have healthier, more vulnerable, intimate relationships at this magical time in life. Thank you. I, you know, Dr. Susan, when we were talking about this earlier, I, I was thinking back that the majority of us are so consumed with our own thoughts and worries that we oftentimes forget that what, what we're feeling is not what other people are feeling. In fact, as bad or critical as we are to ourselves, you know, when you're going through mu- uh, menopause, you have loss of muscle tone sometimes. You start feeling older, you start feeling achy, and maybe you've gained a little weight and that makes you feel bad. Maybe your marriage has lost its passion or you're out there dating, wondering who could ever look at you and love you or think you were sexy. I want to remind those followers and listeners who are hearing this that that's all manifesting in your head, but it is not what the rest of the world sees. So many times it's the ability, being vulnerable and communicating is understanding that your inner critic is your worst enemy when you're going through menopause. And the reason that it's so scary to talk openly about you, how you feel is you don't want to be embarrassed or shamed. Many of us grew up in homes where our parents embarrassed us or told us we should be ashamed. And we don't necessarily resolve that. Many times we carry that with us and we carry it with us into our own lives as well as our relationships with others. And our parents, our mothers especially, don't tell us about sexuality. They don't They don't want to make us more excited about it than we are. And so many times they downplay it. And so we begin feeling worse about sex and more incapable of enjoying sex. And I think all these things are going on at the same time. Our body is going through one season and entering another. Mm -hmm. There's so much going on, isn't there, at this time in life? Like you said, it's 
our kids are getting older. Maybe they're going to college. Our parents can be getting getting sick and dying. Our relationships are changing. It's such a melting pot of confusing feelings. And um, I loved what you said about this um, inner critic, which you know, we all have one. Gosh, and I certainly do. Just realizing, like you said, that other people don't see us that way. And I, I've seen so many examples of when women have been brave enough just to be vulnerable and just say something like, look, honey, I, I just want to share with you that I'm really scared about my body changing or that you might not love me as much because I'm getting older or whatever the, the terrible, awful elephant in the room is. And almost always the the other person in the conversation will be say something like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you were thinking that. I was thinking something totally different. I was thinking about myself, like I was worried about my erections and that my belly was fatter and you might leave me for a younger man. It's almost like two completely different inner critics are just doing their thing and there's not really a conversation happening very often. So how do we have these conversations that are so real and feel so scary? Well, and I think that's the thing. Whenever, you know, you and I were talking about the ability to be vulnerable. We know that being vulnerable in relationships deepens the, the love. It deepens the emotional connection. But yet, how do you do that? Because most of us have are pretty guarded. And we, we don't easily let people into our inner, inner circle. We kind of keep them on the peripheral because we don't want to get hurt. So being vulnerable never feels real good. I mean, you're taking a risk. And I don't want to you know, look at that with rose-colored glasses, you are taking a risk, but you're taking a met you're taking a meticulous risk in the hopes that what will come out of it is going to restore your relationship. And for me, that kind of motivates me to put more cards on the table. And I think the first thing is just think of yourself as being generous, not generous with money, but generous with kindness, generous with compassion. If your best friend was telling you they felt bad about, you know, their their flabby muscles or their belly or their sagging breasts, you would be compassionate. You would go, oh, my gosh, it's really not that bad or you're still beautiful. But yet when it comes to talking to ourselves and sharing that with someone who is supposed to care with us and I'm, you know, I'm saying supposed to because sometimes this doesn't go well, but at the same time. For you not to risk it is limiting your life and love life. It's not risking theirs. Mm, yeah, and I, I, I was actually just talking about this last week. I, I think I talk about it a lot now because it's really come alive in my own life. In as much as being vulnerable is risky, what what is the risk? I mean, the risk we're worried about is being rejected or that it won't be received well. I have suddenly come to this sort of epiphany. I don't know what it is or understanding that... If I tell the truth and I'm deeply vulnerable and, and telling the truth has to be kind and it has to be timely and all of those things, you can't just be an asshole and just blurt, but you're telling the truth in a kind way. If that was not received well by someone, that's probably someone I don't want to continue having in my life. And I that might sound extreme, but we have to, I believe, I have to live in a way that I can speak my truth and be accepted for who I am. And so, yes, that is a risk, 
but I think of it as a win-win. I mean, either they're not going to like it, I'm going to be free to pursue something else, or they are going to like it and we're going to deepen the relationship. And it's certainly not that easy because ending relationships, ending marriages, this is not an easy thing to do. And that being said, sometimes it needs to be done, right? I mean, sometimes it needs to be done. I'm, I'm divorced. <laughs> so, um, you know, we hope that these vulnerable um, conversations will end in deepening the relationship. But I guess just to reiterate, we don't really have anything to lose. All we have is to gain our freedom to be ourselves. That's how it feels over here. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I just go back to this for so many women. One of the other ways of deepening and being vulnerable is to talk Say what you want directly. Women were taught to hint. We were mm-hmm. taught, we were socialized to hint because we didn't want to upset anybody. And where has that gotten us, ladies uh, and men? Where, like, wouldn't you rather have someone who came to the table and told you exactly what they want so that they would have the, you would have the chance to provide that? And that's what I want to encourage women with today. Use your voice. Mm-hmm. You longer have to hint. You don't have to hide. You are an accomplished person. If you've survived to the point of menopause, you have a lot to be proud of. And you have a lot of abilities that you're not giving yourself credit for. When you're vulnerable and you tell someone honestly what you need to feel loved, then you offer them not only your trust, But you offer them an opportunity to provide that for you, to be successful at that. And the more direct and able you are to advocate for yourself and stand up and say, you know, this might sound silly to you, but this is what I need. I need affirmations. I need you to remind me of my successes in life because I grew up in a family that was messed up and they never let me talk about things I was successful at. A lot of what we talk about with vulnerability involves family of origin work. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I'm including this more with all my sexual work and my talk with couples is because I believe that we were raised by parents who had a a lot of problems communicating and teaching us healthy ways to communicate and to relieve stress, how to cope. This is why we have more drug addicts, more obesity, more, you know, porn addicts, more, more every kind of addiction is because we were never mentored healthy ways to speak for ourselves, to talk about anger or anything else. So if you don't start, when will you? If you don't start now, how, who's going to teach your child? Who's going to mentor? That's so really- true. Yeah, and I, I love that idea, and I've experienced this in my own life, that um, many of us, and I speak to many women who feel unseen, misunderstood, mm-hmm. um, you know, we want to be seen. I, I don't know a human who doesn't want to be deeply seen, like deeply loved, but there's yeah. something very empowering when we take responsibility for the fact that in as much as we're not telling the truth— we're not allowing ourselves to be seen. And, and this has been my, my pattern in my marriage that ended. I didn't share things vulnerably, and therefore I wasn't able to be seen. It wasn't his fault. I wasn't showing myself because I was hiding and withholding. And because I was hiding and withholding, I wasn't 
seen. I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel loved. And so, you know, and then this is a great way for relationships to, to deteriorate. But I found it very empowering to accept my part in that. You know, it's always two sides when relationships fail or it's not a failure when relationships reach the end of their time. Um, and since then, I've learned that if I don't show up and tell my truth, then how can I expect to be seen and fully loved? Uh, I mean, so I think that's a beautiful idea. It's very empowering. And like you said, that's it's not what we, our parents taught us. It's not classically feminine. It, it can be not everybody's going to like it, <laughs> but it's a it's a way to be free and to have these beautiful, really deep, connected, honest relationships and be seen. Susan, I love what you said about the truth. And if you think about it, when you tell someone or share your personal truth, you're, you're extending the, the concept, the ability, or the picture of what true trust looks like. You're mm. saying to this person, I, I trust you with my truth. And there's an esteem there. There's not only I see you, there's a there's also a connotation that because of who you are I, and the way you treat me, I trust you with my truth. So actually your truth is a gift to the other person. So many women have lied throughout the ages and, and we've gotten a reputation for it. A lot of men say women are manipulative and, and dishonest. It's not those things. What happened is we were taught to basically not say our truth, that our truth, that our truth was not as important as making our partner feel good about themselves. And that's basically giving someone a pass to a miserable relationship. Mm. If you both don't have the ability to tell each other your truth, you're going to create a fake relationship. I mean, that's what narcissists do. And we don't want that in a relationship. Yeah, that's such a beautiful idea. And I love that because I can I can just put myself in the position when I'm the recipient of a very vulnerable piece of truth from someone very dear to me. It does feel so good to, to be not only let into that person's deepest heart and soul, but also to be trusted. And I, I love that you said that because just, I'm just evoking what that feels like. It's like that is such a sexy, uh, connecting type of an experience. And I've had this experience um, recently in my current relationship. Like it, it's so sexy to be vulnerable. Like it's like you're letting me in to and trusting me. I mean, there's nothing to me more sexy than that. Like just wanting, and I'm not talking about just vaginal intercourse, but the whole idea of just wanting to connect with somebody physically I don't want to connect with someone physically who's armored up and not showing themselves. And uh, I mean, that we have vibrators for that. I don't need a human being who's not showing themselves, but someone who's really going to open up and, and trust me with that deep truth. That is sexy. Yeah. And you alluded to already the, the giving and taking of attention with vulnerability. A lot of people are very shy about getting attention about their partner loving their body, adoring their body. Like 
actually being sensual about their body, going slowly, appreciating all parts of their body. And they, they feel embarrassed about it because they have a lot of body hate or they have a lot of feelings of body shame. And this is really poignant when a woman is going through menopause because society says, oh, you're no longer able to bear children, you're dried up. And we use all kinds of negative words. And in, in fact, menopause is a freedom. You're finally more able to be sexual and you're getting rid of your weekly or monthly periods. You're, you're basically gonna go back to the woman you were before this all started. There's a new freedom. There's an opportunity to reinvent and, and recreate. So for me, I thought, and I have been through menopause and I always, I know so much of it is what you put in your mind, like what you think it's gonna be. And I had an older sister who went through and she said she didn't know she went through. I have five sisters. Hmm. It's so easy. And I put that in my mind. And so I, I swear to you, I think that really helped me adapt. I told myself I was going to recreate. I was going to reinvest in a new kind of you know, project or passion that I always had. And my body followed suit. Now I have a sister, two sisters that had a terrible time with menopause. And it's, so it wasn't something we all fell in line in this one family. It's just very variable. But even if you're having a bad time, you're having mood changes, you're feeling badly about your body. And I don't think you can escape that. I mean, I'm an athlete. I'm a psych psychotherapist. I still have days when I don't like my aging body, but I have to stop that. Like I, I hear it, I listen to it, and then I let it go. Because to be honest with you, I didn't like my 20-year-old body. I've always struggled with a lot of body image issues, and I didn't expect it to go away. I do expect it to get better as I get smarter at dealing with it. And this something so beautiful that you're talking about there, I, I hear just this wisdom that we develop. And um, yeah, there's certain very deeply ingrained things that don't go away. I, I too, I had uh, have had body image issues since I was a teenager and women in our, and not to say that it's gotten better. I mean, it's, young women are still struggling mightily with that, but it's a little bit different. In our generation, Mary Jo and I are around the same age, you know, it was there was so much starvation and all this extremely healthy, unhealthy desire to be extremely skinny. And um, I think my perception is that's lightened up a little bit. But yeah, we have this ingrained in us. And so it changes. And so, yeah, I, I don't always love my body either. But we, we have some more wisdom around it just to be able to hear those voices and say, hey, you know, this is an old voice and it's not true. And if my worth is not tied to my weight and all of these things that we know. And so what, what a beautiful time to, to have, yeah, who wants to have periods? And then a lot of the other challenges that go along with being younger, we're free from that. And then we've got this ability to learn how to do these amazing things, like communicate clearly, tell the truth, like break these, what Elaine Turner calls the glass slipper. I love that. Like instead of trying to stuff our foot into the Cinderella shoe, we can make our own shoe, so to speak. Um, you know, it's just a beautiful time. And so learning how to communicate, 
um, vulnerably and honestly, perhaps, I don't know, there's probably three or four of the most wonderful things about menopause for me. And that's definitely in the top three. Maybe it's the top one. Because, you know, we can't get anywhere really in relationship until we've mastered this this uh, skill. And it is a skill. It's something, it's just something we learn and we practice every day and it doesn't come easily. This honest, vulnerable communication. So what, how do you start this process? So you're seeing a client and, and they, they just are stuck in, in the old conditioning and unable to feel unable to tell their truth and feel unseen and unheard and all the things. What are some things we can do to just get started? Well, I think the first thing that I usually, I usually prefer myself is I like the generosity of vulnerability. I, I think that's a motivating factor. So if you think about it, how can you be more generous with kindness and compassion and honesty and showing up? You know, what are things that you can do in your life that will show that you're giving in those, even lovemaking. Can you be more generous with your body and lovemaking? And what would that look like? Would that mean starting to caress your partner when you come, when they come home or allowing your partner to caress you? I know a lot of women that when they're going, you know, as they get older, they don't want anything to do with their partner. And because they're afraid if they give them any attention, their partner will think they're having sex and they are not comfortable having sex. When their partner goes to reach out for them, they push them away. And that's really excruciating to your partner. And not only that, it really isn't the best part of you because you do, you do want that touch. You do need that touch, but you just want to make sure that you have, that it won't go further than that. So at that time, if you could be generous of your, of your affection and be willing to hug them, but truthful too, and say, you know, I'm just feeling vulnerable tonight, or I'm feeling, I'm feeling badly about myself. Can we hug? And then that's it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a gentler way, a more generous way of saying what you really want so your partner doesn't feel rejected, but at the same time, so you're not betraying yourself, but yet you're being generous with your affection. And that is such a beautiful way to put it, I think, because it's not it's not black and white. And I, I remember this exact scenario when I was, before I got divorced, and at that time, I, I deeply did not want to have sex. I wasn't in a place where that was something that I wanted. We, the relationship wasn't doing well. I didn't want that type of uh, intimacy. And so he would try and, you know, he did his best and would say, hey, honey, would you like a massage? And I really, really wanted a massage, like more than you can imagine, because I wanted to be touched and I wanted to be... It, I wanted to be held. And I would say no for that very reason, because my thought was, I know where this is going. But if I had known what I know now, and it must have felt horrible on the other side now in retrospect, but an awful way to make our partners feel with that rejection. If I had been like just completely honest, the truth would have been, honey, I 
I don't have a full explanation of why this is happening, but right now having sex to me doesn't feel good, but I would really love to get a massage. Could could I get a massage? And then I just need to tell you that today I'm not feeling good about having sex. And is that okay with you? Because I really would love a massage. And that's the truth. And I, yeah. that would have, that would have gone over much better than just like turning over and rolling my back away. Um, but why is it that it's so hard for us to tell the truth? Like why? I I think a lot of people were afraid to tell their parents from the very beginning. I want you to hold me. I'm feeling scared. I just want you to hold me. Mm-hmm. I want you to touch me. I I feel sad. We knew what we wanted. When kids act out, they know what they want. I read a statistic that I truly believe 80% of all conflict in marriage is due to one partner wanting engagement. They're lonely. They can't say, I just want to touch you. I just want you to touch me. They can't say that. So they pick a fight. Mm -hmm. gets angry and that anger basically deteriorates anything you could have done. And I don't know why we're so embarrassed to just tell our partner, will you just touch me tonight? And they'd say, well, what do you mean touch? I just want to feel your hands, like maybe rub my shoulders or rub my feet or, you know, think, think at that time, what will feel good? And then tell them always where you're at, because when you tell them, it's like a you know, when you, when you tell an anxious child what's going on with you, the child calms down because a child's fears are much scarier than you telling them the truth. It's the same with relationships. We make mountains out of molehills. And it's so much better if our partner just says, I'm feeling inadequate at work or I'm feeling, I'm feeling beat up in life. I'm feeling like I'm no good. I, I looked in the mirror and I look old and ugly. Wherever you're at today doesn't mean you're going to stay there. Just means that's where you're at at this time. That is so true. And this happens to all of us, certainly to me. If we're not told anything, we fill in the gap. And when I fill in the gap, it's almost always something way worse than the truth. And, and you know, our brains just do this. If there's a gap, if someone's not telling me something or I feel like I'm not being quite let into the whole truth. I'm going to make up a whole big story. And and for sure it's fiction and for sure it's going to be a drama way more exciting than the truth. You know, the truth can bring so much peace. I mean, chances are, I mean, sometimes our truth is hard. So there's also that. We can talk about that too. Sometimes our truth is very hard to say and hard to hear. But just those little withholds, I, I know it's just that I do too, and I'm working on it. But all the ways we don't tell our truth, even if it's just by withholding little parts of our truth, we're allowing the other person to make a bunch of stuff up <laughs> that is probably not is probably much worse than the reality. So you know, what a waste of energy when we could just tell the truth. I mean, it really is well, a beautiful Dr. practice. Susan, Dr. Susan, that's one thing I can really. I can really encourage you about because I think you are one of the best truth tellers. When I'm around you, I feel so comfortable with my truth. I could tell you anything. You make being vulnerable so easy. 
And I think what I've learned from you already is the way you do it is you relate to it. So if anybody, you know, one way that we can make someone who is vulnerable feel more scared or guarded or, you know, they withdraw their vulnerability is if we act like we're going to judge it or we act like um, we're stunned about something or, or sometimes if we take an edge that's superior. But I, I have always seen you do the opposite. So when I'm with you, it is extremely freeing. I could essentially tell you anything. And that's when you find those relationships, they're, in, they're incredibly important to take care of. And you, you, you really have to focus on always being honest with those. I think those relationships are a little bit more fine-tuned. They're, um, they're gifts in life when you get one of those relationships because they happen to you many times. And then if you're trained, I always feel lucky because I'm trained in this. And I notice right away when someone disarms, just totally disarms the situation and you can be honest with them. So it takes that in couples too. And I think sometimes our clients and our patients react, are reacting to their partner because their partner feels on edge when, when their partner tells them the truth. Mm-hmm. Like they get ready, they're, they're ready to come back because they're scared. They're scared of their own truth though. They're not scared of yours. Yeah, well- Thank you for telling me that. That just gave me lots of goosebumps and I appreciate it. And I feel the same way about you, by the way. And that made me think about just the ways in which we can model this. Because what I heard you say, which was so beautiful, is that your your uh, perception of me is that I model this. And I thank you because I try. And so any of us can model this, right? So if you're, if you and someone has to go first. And I say that a lot. If you're in a relationship and you're waiting for the other person to suddenly start telling the truth and be vulnerable before you do, that could be a long standoff. But how about we, we're women, we're strong. You know, we, we have babies. We basically run the world here. So let's just go first and, and model vulnerability and show our partners that it's safe to be around us. And actually that reminded me of something, one of my teachers said that her aspiration was to be someone that it was safe to be around. And I just thought it was such a beautiful saying. And she didn't mean physically safe, but someone who felt like you just described, safe to be around, trustworthy, someone you can tell anything, that you're not going to be judged, that you're not going to be harmed. That's my aspiration to be someone like that. And we, we could all maybe take on a bit of that aspiration, but it does require going first to, to model this because maybe our partners are not, especially if the partner's a man. I mean, they, let's say, I don't mean to be sexist, but I think it's fair to say that men struggle with vulnerability even more than women in many cases. And so they may not be jumping to do this truth-telling exercise. They, they might need a little bit of example setting from us. Well, especially I, I look at it like, ladies, this is your chance. If you've been one of those women that has been shushed and told that you had to please others, this is your chance to say, no, I don't. I, I have to tell the truth and I have to 
create within me, within my own truth, a safe space for another person to share their truth. And that means I'm not going to jump on them. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm going to be, I'm going to have self-control over my own reactions. I'm not going to let my mood dictate my behavior. So there's a lot of pieces in there that we can all be better. We can all be a better person, a better partner. And you're not doing that for anyone else. You're doing that for your own freedom. Menopause is freedom, as I alluded to before. And if you don't do it during this passage, when will you? Mm. If you're dating and you're, you're in your 50s and you continue to play the games or play the part you always played, look at how limiting you are being to what could be possible for you. Yeah, I, this is what I love to talk about. It's just so beautiful and juicy and it just makes me smile because it's so true and I've experienced it in my own life and seen so many other women make this mental transition. It's, there, you know, there's a physical transition with menopause that we talk about all the time, but this, this other transition, this sort of mental transition of just saying, hey, like, like you said, I'm not going to be shushed anymore. I'm, I'm going to step into my own power or my own shoes and speak my truth. Not doesn't mean you do not get to be an asshole and be really clear about that. Speaking your truth doesn't mean you can go around just telling people whatever you want to. Truth telling has to be very careful. It has to be timely and it has to be kind and it has to be gentle and all kinds of things. But um, yeah, freedom, that's my favorite word. And menopause to me, I have experienced it as freedom and freedom from our limiting beliefs and freedom from not having to be shushed and freedom from having to have periods and all the kinds of freedom. But someone has to go first. So, you know, we started this conversation talking about how, you know, how do we share these things with our partners about what's going on with this changing body, this changing time for us that can feel so lonely and isolating sometimes. And, and as we all know, um, often can be a real challenge for intimate relationships. You know, sex drive can go down. Sometimes sex stops altogether or it, it can become a sticky time for sex. And so since you and I both like talking about sex, can we dive into that a little bit more about how does this truth-telling work like in the bedroom or wherever it is that we're intimately connecting? And why is that so important? You know, it's important to tell the truth all the time. But what, what about intimacy and uh, what about sex and truth-telling or intimacy? Yeah, I think with, with intimacy, telling the truth is really important because you're basically sharing with your lover what you like, what, you, what you're about. I just watched this incredible movie called um, French Exit. And in there, one of the characters, Madame Renaud, was going to, she was in her probably late 50s, early, mid 60s. I don't know how old she was, but it was in France. And you know how the characters are. And it was all people with from France. I mean, you know, they, the actors are re more real life to me. I love foreign films. So anyway, she's, she's in bed with this guy and she's going through a list, her list of all her, what she conceives as her imperfections. And he's like, okay. And she's like, and I need to sleep with my bed elevated because yeah, I've sleep at me and I don't want to die in the middle of the night. And 
when I lay flat, I have no breasts. You know, you won't be able to see them. They're all under my armpit. And I, I look terrible on top. So I will not be on top. <laughs> she was basically going through her list of what she worried about. And he was smiling and saying, okay, okay. And then at one point she stopped and she's like, you, you seem like you're okay with all this. And he said, I just feel so privileged that I'm in this bed with you. And I think that's a small picture. It's, it's Hollywood, but at the same time, it is a glimpse into how this works usually with sharing your vulnerabilities, sharing what your biggest fears are or concerns about your body. When you share them, you bring out another part of yourself that is actually more engaging and more endearing. And it's, you're actually, if you were thinking about it, you're actually drawing that person closer to you by being honest with your vulnerabilities. And the reason I think, I like what you said, Dr. Susan, about women going first. I like it. I like women to go first and mentor this because I think women have a natural ability um, to understand relationships and to see different perspectives. Men have testosterone. And what that does is it makes you focus. And whatever you focus on, it's like a laser beam. And many times, times men's biggest problem is getting out of their head and seeing the other perspective. So when the woman mentors that, I think it relaxes the guy with his own body image issues. And then he's more forthcoming. Well, I can get hard at first, but I might lose my erection midway. And it won't, I promise it's not you, it's my issue. And this is the kind of dialogue we need because many times if, when a man loses an erection, what is a woman? It's her fault. Yeah, of course. My saggy skin, my breasts, mm -hmm. it's all my cellulite. You know, we just are so cruel to ourselves. Mm -hmm. When we started, we're actually opening up I, like an exchange so both people can feel more connected and less worried. It calms anxiety when you really are invested in a vulnerable way. I just think this would be such a great practice for everyone to try. And I've actually tried it myself and it's fun. You can make a game out of it, about something that can be so dreadfully serious, like this very dark elephant in the room. But what if we just did something like said, hey, I'm going to tell you in a, in a sort of a lighthearted way, I sort of think of it kind of like a comedy, like the movie you were watching sounds a bit comical, right? I'm just going to tell you a list of all the things that I worry about. And some of them are going to sound so ridiculous that we'll probably giggle. And then why don't you go and you tell me all the things that you're worried about? And then what a beautiful entryway into a really connected moment that would be, because chances are I'm telling my list, right? Like, like the woman you mentioned. And he would just be laughing like, I, that's not something I'm worried about. And then when he says his list, we'd be like, honey, I'm not worried about that. He's, I'm worried about my receding hairline and maybe my penis isn't the way it used to be or you don't like my tummy or that maybe I'll fart or like I, I might snore or just, you know, make up the list. And we're just going to giggle like, I love you. I'm not worried about any of those things. But there's something beautiful about just putting it in the universe that sometimes can take it from, in my experience, from being something so dark and serious to actually being a little bit funny. Mm -hmm. um, not to make light of how 
hard these things can feel, but it does, it just lightens it up a bit. Yes, for sure. And I love that. I think that's so good, Dr. Susan. I, I think making a challenge out of these things is always good. Now that's not to take away from the women who really have severe uh, body dysmorphia or the men who struggle with it. But I do think the, the more humor or you try to you try to do it in an engaging, fun way, it, it does take the sting out of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of these things are painful. I'm thinking about my patients who have um, vaginal dryness and pain with sex or men that really have severe erectile dysfunction. I mean, these are not easy things to create humor around, and nor should we. But it, it's also really important to talk about, to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you, sweetheart. It's just sex hurts. And so I, I don't want to have sex because it hurts. And I'm working with my doctor on it. And, and, and I really want to make it better. But for now, sex hurts and it's nothing to do with you. So can we just cuddle? And on his side, he might say, you know, honey, I can't keep an erection for more than a few seconds anymore. I don't know what happened. I heard that's common. I'm seeing a urologist. I'm working on that too. So let's just cuddle. And wouldn't that be just a beautiful thing instead of everyone? I have this image. I told, I'm going to make this cartoon sometime too. I told Mary Jo about this earlier. I have an image of two people lying in the bed, looking at the ceiling. And one of them's thinking all the things oh my gosh, I'm fat. I'm old. He doesn't love me. He's going to leave me for a younger woman. My vagina is too loose. I don't, my breasts look funny. My stomach's sticking out. And he's over there thinking his whole list of different things. And it's just different, like completely different wavelengths. And because nobody's talking about it, it becomes a really difficult, serious situation. And the next thing we're not having sex, we're sleeping in different rooms, you know, then it goes downhill from there. So just breaking that, we've got to break that chain that was our mothers, our grandmothers, and everyone else told us that it wasn't okay to tell the truth. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice. It wasn't feminine, whatever it was. You know, we're different now. We're modern women. We deserve to be seen, and we want to be seen, and we want to be loved, and we want to be generous, and we want to give that to our partners, too, and... um yeah, it's just a great time to be learning this stuff, isn't it? To be grown up and wise enough to be able to do it. You can't do this when you're 20. Maybe you can, but probably not. Right. I love it. I think I think now is the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, menopause is amazing. So um, we're getting to the end of Mary Jo's very precious time. And I want to touch on something that's a little bit less easy to talk about sometimes. And um, we knew this would happen when we started this, that this is actually going to turn into part two of our conversation because it's such an important thing. When we're talking about communication in, in relationships, sometimes there's some really difficult communication around things that have caused very severe pain, betrayal, um, you know, how to get past the pain when we're talking about trying to repair a relationship. And these are, you know, these are not easy conversations to have. Maybe if you have just a minute longer, can just chat for a second about what that might look like. And I'd love to, if you're able to invite you back to do part two, just to talk to this subject by itself, because it is so rich and so important uh, to talk about how to, how to heal those wounds. Right. And I think that, um, you know, if you're in a relationship, one of the, one of the key components is you have to know how to heal the hurt 
that after you caused it. And I, when Dr. Susan and I were talking about this, we, we both feel like there's a lot of people who carry the hurt in their body and it manifests there with different um, illnesses sometimes, um, hypertension, heart disease, different pains in different parts of their body. That's all, un, you know, that's unresolved hurt that someone hurt you and it was never resolved. And many times in relationships, people move on because they can never really heal the hurt they caused. And then it's important that you're able to understand how to forgive and, and let go and, and basically fill that void that that hurt leaves behind once you allow it. Because mm -hmm. if you continue to carry it, carried around, when you carry around hurt, it actually, it actually limits your body's performance and your minds. It, it really saps your energy. It consumes more than you've ever imagined. And not only that, but it turns a lot of your thinking negative. Mm, so true. And I, uh, when we've touched on this idea of freedom, I think that is a, a, there's a real barrier to freedom if we're harboring resentment and not forgiving and not letting go of hurt and learning how to work through these things that truly have been so incredibly painful. There's so many different ways that humans hurt each other. And so that's a big topic. And I would love to, if you're able to, we'd like to invite you back next week to talk about part two of this conversation about communication and just really specifically talk about healing the hurt because it's such an important part of this journey to freedom that we're talking about. I would love to, Susan. I think that would be just so, so wonderful. And what a gift we can give any of the followers of this podcast. Well, let's do it next week. Mary Jo is going to be back. Yay. Aren't we lucky? So thank you so much for sharing your precious time with us again, Mary Jo. And so where can our listeners find you? Um, because I believe you are still seeing clients. Yes, I am. I'm seeing them all Zoom though. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen anybody face-to-face -face yet, but hopefully that will happen, Susan. My website is maryjoerapini.com and that's M-A-R-Y-J-O. R-A-P-I-N-I.com. And I have a YouTube and it's youtube.com slash MJ Rapini. And you can just subscribe. And basically it's, it's not in lieu of therapy, but it's like five to 10 minutes of good therapy. And I just really quickly, I want to put a plug in for that because MJ Rapini on YouTube is so great. And Mary Jo has just these really uh, cool things to teach you. And so you know, why are we watching stupid television? You need to be watching Mary Jo on YouTube and learning and growing. Thank it's you. just really good. And I've really enjoyed just listening to that. So she's doing so many things. And lucky us, we're going to get to hear from her again next week. So thank you so much for spending time with us. And we can't wait to dive into this some more next week with part two. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I love that cartoon. You got to make it. Please. I got to make it. I need to find someone who can draw. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.